For many people, forgiveness equals restoration. But forgiveness doesn't have to equal restoration. We can forgive someone who's hurt us, and it doesn't mean that we're going to maintain the same level of relationship. There's a difference between forgiveness and restoring trust. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm your host, Nicole Yunus, and I am so glad to be with you. As we are in a series called Miracle Moments, based on a book that I just released last month and the accompanying Bible study, we're looking at some of the biblical principles behind how we can be people who are truly growing in the way that we love others, the way that we have integrity in our emotions, in our thoughts, in our actions, and in all of our important relationships. So we've been doing that work together, and we're on week five in this series. And hey, you know, if you're enjoying this, if this is helpful to you, if you think it would be helpful to someone else in your life, feel free to like and subscribe and then share this podcast. You can share it on your social media. You can just send it as a text message to a friend. Um, Let's get all of us kind of together seeking God's Word and finding our way forward with freedom, because truly that's what God's Word does for us. It's alive and active and working in our hearts. And there's just something about faithfully showing up week after week to say, you know what, we believe that there is a word for each of us when we come to scripture. And we might not in the beginning know what that word is or or exactly how it's working and moving in our hearts. But what we do know is that God promises from Genesis to Revelation that there is a relationship we can have with his word where we love his word, we fear his word, we obey his word, and in that there is humility human flourishing, that even in your hardship, even in the struggles, even in those desperate moments where you think, gosh, I just don't think I can go on, like God keeps giving us more and more grace. And we want that foundation of his word that allows us all to be sort of looking at the same thing, under the same thing. We're not just out here um, spinning wildly through the universe without any sense of what the truth is or any sense of direction because we have God's word. And the same thing that's been true from the day it was written until the day we are on today, all of those years, it continues to be as powerful and relevant as it was then. So we're doing the work together of finding the principles within scripture. So looking at scripture using the alive method, you can go back in the podcast to find out more about that. That's a different book that will get you kind of oriented to this approach, but very simple. We're just using a few questions every time we come to scripture. We're asking, what does this mean at the time that it was written? And then we're building a bridge to say, what is the principles that are there? And then what does that mean for us today? And so we're going to be doing that through this concept of what does it mean to to actually seek restoration in our relationship. So we're going to be in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. So if you want to pause your pod, uh, pause the podcast, grab your Bible, grab your journal. If you want to flip to John 21, I love to encourage you to be actually in your actual Bible, because as easy as it is to flip on your Bible app, and if you need to do that, that's great. But um, as easy it is, as it is to do that, sometimes we can miss the context 
that we can actually visually see when we are in the Bible. We're like, okay, where is this? Oh, it's at the end of the book. What happened right before? Even the fact that in your Bible, there's headers that give you like a little sense of what has been going on around it can just be helpful almost on the subconscious level to be like, okay, I know where we are. So I'm going to try to do that for you in case you are listening to this as you drive or do your chores. Um, But if you're with me and you want to turn in scripture, go ahead and do so. So we're in John chapter 21. This is the end of the gospel of John. Um, We were talking in the last couple of weeks about that moment with Jesus and Pilate when Pilate says like, what is truth? And Jesus like redefines power right before um, he goes to the cross. And this is actually taking place after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. Okay. And before this part of the story, Peter has been back doing what he did before, which is that he just he's back fishing again. Jesus found him the first time he found him and called him to be a disciple. Peter was fishing. And this time, as Jesus has been resurrected and everyone's a little bit confused, I think about what's really happening, because obviously, wouldn't you be confused if someone who was clearly dead now seems to be alive? Let's face it, guys, we would all be confused. It's so easy to skip over this and be like, it was Jesus. He was resurrected, like as if that was a normal thing. But when you really place yourself in this story, of course it was confusing. Of course the guys were like, are you sure, Mary? Are you sure that's what you saw at the grave? You know, like even when they thought they saw him in, you know, he came and visited with them and saw them, like I'm sure they were like, is this a dream? Like what is happening? So, Keep in mind that like what we know about Jesus now is not what they knew then. And they're still just like figuring things out. And so Peter's back fishing. They hear Jesus call to them. They don't, they're not sure it's Jesus. They think it's Jesus. They're not sure it's him. And he's like, friends, have you caught any fish? And they're like, no, we haven't caught any fish. They have a miraculous catch of fish. And that's like the signal to Peter that that is definitely Jesus. That's a callback to Peter's calling story um, back in the Gospels, in the early Gospel. So it's actually in um, Matthew. So you can go back and look at that. And he has a callback. He's like, this is definitely Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He swims to shore. So here's what you need to know before we enter into this. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with the story, I want you to keep in mind, Peter has betrayed Jesus. Like the last interaction he had with Jesus when Jesus was alive before his crucifixion is Jesus at his arrest and at his trial, beaten, mocked, scourged. Peter is standing somewhat nearby, close enough that Jesus can see him. And and Jesus actually hears Peter deny knowing Jesus, denies being a disciple. And that's the last interaction they have like face-to-face before this moment in scripture. So think about what that would feel like. Just enter into the story. So Peter knows it's Jesus. He swims to shore. And then Jesus and Peter are going to have this conversation. Okay. So we're going to pick it up here. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Side note, do you know how many times Peter denied Jesus? Three. Do you know how many times Jesus is asking to be restored, restoring relationship three times? And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Okay, let's just apply our normal alive method. There's a lot going on here, but I want to particularly, I mean, we could go, we could spend a lot of time here. There's a lot going on, but I want to particularly focus on the concept of restoration in relationship. Okay, so when we ask that question, what does it say? We just want to catch ourselves up on the story. I gave you a lot of the backstory just so you would know. And what we see here is Jesus is questioning Peter and Peter's responding. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus says to him, do you love me, right? And then Jesus gives a slightly different answer each time, right? So every time um, Jesus asks a question, Peter responds. Now you might want to notice a few things. I notice, for instance, that Jesus says, feed my lambs. Then he says, take care of my sheep, right? And then he says, feed my sheep. And I also notice that Peter says, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. You know, all things, you know, I love you. Right. But it says on the third time that Peter was hurt, that he had been asked three times. So I want to stop and pause here because there's a lot, I think of confusion around what it looks like to restore relationship. What is, what happens after a breach in relationship? And, and I feel like, and I could be wrong and y'all can correct me. You can send me an email let me know if your experience has been different. But I feel like there's a general vibe in Christian culture, which is you just forgive and forget. And that's what real love is. Real love is just moving on. And that's what grace is. And that's what forgiveness is. And I just want to say, like, if we were going to go just to the Bible and we were going to apply that, I think that we're going to see that Jesus doesn't actually do that. Because it feels to me that in kind of churchianity, Christianity, we would say, Jesus, why are you doing this? Like, why would you hurt Peter? You know, like, Peter has got to be upset that he did that to you. And yet Jesus decides to engage in a process. We know that Jesus has forgiven Peter, yet Jesus decides to bring it back up. He doesn't just let Peter deny him. Jesus like moves on, you know, and offers a, a meal and relationship, but Jesus doesn't move on. He actually allows there to be a space that I would imagine would be quite uncomfortable. He allows there to be this space where he's actually in a process of reconciliation. He doesn't just move on. And I think for all of us, not to skip ahead to question four, what does it mean for me? But I think all of us need to ask, have I been bringing something to my understanding of what love looks like in relationships that isn't actually what Jesus is modeling here? And, and it's not to say there aren't times where we might just like let love cover a multitude of sins, you know, but that's not what's happening here. Here, Jesus is doing something different. So when we ask, what does it say? Mostly what we see is that Jesus keeps pressing the issue. He has this one-on-one -on -one conversation. He asks three times, and it seems pretty clear based on what has just happened that these three questions connect to the fact that Peter 
denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus, stepped away, kind of abandoned his relationship with Jesus three times. So we've got this sort of parallelism between three hurts, three questions, and Peter sort of responding to them, right? The other thing I notice is that what Jesus responds with is not your forgiven, but he actually responds with a purpose. He responds with action. He gives like an action on what would happen if Peter does in fact love Jesus. Okay. So I want to focus in on that and I'm going to give you just a quick, uh, I'll give you a little bit about the last piece just so that it doesn't feel like it's hanging out there and confusing, but let's focus on just these uh, few verses, 15 through 17, this, this sort of restoration. And I want to pull out three things that I think are happening here that also happen in our relationships when we are seeking restoration. And the three things are this forgiveness, reconciliation, and repentance. Okay. So if we're looking for a relationship to be fully restored, we've had a breach of trust. We've committed a sin. We've had a sin committed against us. There's been something that has happened that has wounded one party or the other, or that has breached the trust of one party or the other. And there's sort of three levels of things that can happen in relationship as we see it playing out here with Jesus and Peter. So the first one is forgiveness. So when I go to my concordance, which is in the back of your Bible, if you have a study Bible, you're going to have in the back a set of topics. And so if you were doing your own Bible study and you're like, okay, I'm just trying to figure out what's here, and you looked up forgiveness... You would most likely come across many, many verses in your concordance. It would point out a bunch of places that you can go and read about forgiveness. But one of my favorites is Ephesians 4, verse 32. And it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So here we see that there is a command that if you have been forgiven by Christ, as we all have been, then we have a mandate to forgive one another. And what we see happening with Jesus is that he engages in relationship with Peter. So he kind of comes close. He comes near him. And although he doesn't say the words, I forgive you, I think it becomes very, very clear that he has been forgiven, right? It doesn't, in fact, Peter doesn't ask, he doesn't say sorry, right? But the fact that Jesus is in relationship with him is indicating that forgiveness. So often when we're hurt in relationship, we allow distance to enter in. Because we've been hurt, we choose distance as a way to communicate. I'm going to withhold my affection. I'm going to withhold my words. I'm going to withhold my relationship. And that's how you're going to know that I'm hurt. And what Jesus does is offer forgiveness, and the way he does so is because he engages in relationship. He actually invites um, Peter to eat with him. And in the Jewish tradition, to eat together would be to indicate, like, we are in relationship. We are okay. (laughs) And we know, because of the gospel, we know because of Ephesians 4, that we are forgiven in Christ, that that work has been done. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, we experience forgiveness past present and future. That cannot be taken away from us. That is something that we have in Christ. And because that is true of us, we have a mandate as believers to also offer forgiveness to others. Now here's where we can get confused because for many people, forgiveness equals restoration, but forgiveness doesn't have to equal restoration. We can forgive someone who's hurt us, and it doesn't mean that we're going to maintain the same level of relationship. There's a difference between forgiveness and restoring trust. 
Forgiveness is a mandate that God has given to us. And by the way, forgiveness is is a little bit like the Sabbath. Like it says in scripture, Mark chapter two, verse 27, um, the man, like Sabbath wasn't made for man. Like man was made for the Sabbath. Like we we need the Sabbath. We need to be in the Sabbath because it actually is designed for our rest and restoration. And I believe forgiveness is the same way. Like we need like forgiveness in our lives because it's what sets us free. As long as we're bound by resentment, by hurt, by anger, we actually aren't free to love. So I believe the mandate that God gives us to forgive is for our own good. It's so we can actually move on no matter how badly we've been hurt. As long as we continue to harbor that hurt, we're actually bound with that aggressor. We, we, we continue to be um, under the power of the person who's hurt us as long as that forgiveness hasn't been given. Forgiveness is a release that allows us to move on. The reason I believe, and forgiveness is a supernatural event, it is a miracle to experience forgiveness for something when you have been hurt, particularly if you've been deeply hurt. It is the miracle of Christ in you that you can forgive. So if you're having a hard time forgiving someone, I want you to know that this is a place of healing and miracle that God can do a work in your life. And a lot of times where we need to begin is actually, we just, we want to want to forgive someone. Sometimes we don't even want to forgive people. And we can just, we can ask God, would you help me want this for my life as a step, a first step, and then allow God to do the work to release it. But one thing that I think can hold us back so much from forgiveness is because we often believe that to forgive someone means to restore the relationship. And that is not what it means. Jesus is very clear about being shrewd in relationships, meaning like we are supposed to be wise and discerning in the way we spend our time and how we are around people. And if there's a person who has hurt you and continues to hurt you and does not repent and does not change, it is not wise to be in relationship with that person, be in a close relationship. You can forgive someone without the relationship being restored. Forgiveness is the mandate that we see in Ephesians 4. The second thing that can happen in restoration, and this is another level, is reconciliation. Romans 14 verse 19 says this, Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Edification means building up. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Notice it doesn't say, therefore, no matter what, no matter who, no, no matter how much they've hurt you, you have to find peace. No, it says make every effort, like put some work into it. Try to get to peace and mutual edification. But the idea of reconciliation requires two parties. And it's very possible that the other party doesn't want reconciliation. So you can do everything you can. You can make every effort to go towards peace and mutual edification, but the other party has to participate. And this is what I believe we see with Jesus and Peter. When Jesus questions Peter, he's engaging, asking Peter, do you want to reconcile? Are you willing to do the work to lead us to peace and mutual edification? Will you enter into this conversation? And even though Peter gets hurt by it, like by the third time he's hurt, he's feeling it. I think he's feeling the like, oh my gosh, like I really messed up and Jesus is re-engaging with me, with my purpose, and he has to stay in it, right? Like Peter has to stay in the conversation. Reconciliation requires two parties who are willing to stay in the conversation. The third part is repentance. 
Repentance, Matthew 3, verse 8, Jesus said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is where the rubber meets the road. It's where we actually change. The word repentance um, in the Greek actually means to change one's mind. It's like to have your perspective shifted. And I think when we see this conversation with Jesus and Peter, we see this happening where Jesus is actually shifting Peter's perspective. He's saying, if you love me, this is the action that you will take. Like, if you love me, this will be the purpose of your life. If you are truly seeking repentance, this is the action that will come. Matthew 3, 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And when we're in relationships and we're trying to restore, we, we may not, we have to ask ourselves, what is going to be the fruit of my repentance? How am I going to be different? Am I willing to have my mind changed when I engage with someone I love and they say, Hey, this is how I experienced you, or this is how you hurt my feelings. Or when you do this, it feels this way to me. We have to be willing to say, am I willing to have my mind changed about the way that I've come across? Or am I just going to defend myself? Do I just want to defend my actions and I want the other party to just see it from my perspective? Or am I willing to have my perspective shifted? And what happens here with Jesus and Peter is Peter is being asked to shift his perspective, right? He's saying, hey, this is what this means. I want you to follow me. And in verse 18 through 22, we see like Jesus is like, hey, what's coming is not going to be easy. What Jesus says in verse 18 and verse 19 is about the fact that Peter will also be martyred for his faith. This is one of the most powerful evidences of the fact that Jesus really was resurrected. All of his disciples and the followers, other followers, like tons of people were martyred for their faith after this. They like would not give it up. They were like, we saw him alive to the point of just death. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were burned at the stake. I mean, generally, if people like are not really believing something, they're not all going to go to their death saying that it happened. And like, they, it was just all of them were willing to say, this is what really happened. That's a side note. Guys, I just, that's a big bunny trail. <laughs> So sorry, but I find that so fascinating. And so Jesus is like, hey, this is going to happen. It's going to be hard. This is going to be hard. I'm calling you to your purpose. This is going to be hard. And then Peter goes back into his previous perspective because we know about Peter in the gospels. He's always kind of being like, who's going to be the greatest? And like, I'm the one who said you're Jesus is the Messiah first and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of says the same thing. He's like, well, tell me what's going to happen to other disciples. And Jesus, again, is like, no, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What I want you to do is follow me. What I want you to do is obey me. And he puts him back in that direction. So when we think about what this means, the principles here, I just want to pull out a few things about what does it mean to read this and think about our relationship. And I think that's really about these three ideas. The first is this. you There's a mandate for forgiveness. There is not a mandate for restoration. Two, we are called to seek reconciliation, to make every effort to do so. But to make every effort does not mean that it's always going to turn out, Yeah. And the third one is that repentance has action with it. 
if we are seeking repentance for ourselves, if we want to repent, if we are moving forward in a relationship, there should be different action that we are taking. Likewise, if we have been hurt in a relationship, if we are extending forgiveness and the other party wants to reconcile, they want to work toward restoration, then we want to see action that connects to that restoration. Now, are we going to do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Are we going to fail again? 100%. We are limited. We are human. But if you have been living with this idea that conflict is bad and Jesus was just nice and like he just forgives everyone and like I just want you to engage with this passage and realize like Jesus hurts Peter. Like it is it is in Peter's mind a hurtful conversation. But that hurtful conversation doesn't mean it's not a helpful conversation. It doesn't mean that it didn't need to happen. Jesus models for us what true restoration looks like, and it is a rigorous work. So many of us want to just distance ourselves in conflict. We want to just play nice, go along to get along, and yet we continue to be so unsatisfied in our relationships, and we don't feel known or connected to. And yet what we see here is Jesus actually leaning into the hurt, leaning in with forgiveness, but also offering a process of restoration, a process of reconciliation. And you and I are not going to do it perfectly like Jesus did, but perhaps we can be inspired to know that if we want to love well, it will be an active choice. Love is not passive. Love is not distance. Love is not about saying, I'm going to just give up moving toward more vulnerability, more connection, and more love. Instead, what would it look like for you to actually choose to lean in? Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Gibbons and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.